Have you ever been assigned a patient that winds up being not so cut and dry? Like those patients in acute care or the nursing home who have dysphagia but struggle to complete exercises or compensatory strategies because of their intellectual or developmental disability. Or the patient with respiratory failure who develops respiratory-driven cardiac arrest, gets intubated for 10 plus days, and is on a trach and vent. Oh, and he also has a history of stroke, congestive heart failure, COPD, diabetes, and traumatic brain injury. No textbook or single webinar could ever prepare you for that. But we have something that can help you get there, and it's totally free. On May 19th, the MedSLP Collective is hosting another never-been-done-before virtual summit titled Advanced Therapy for Complex Patients, a Medical SLP's Guide. Learn critical concepts with actionable steps you can take for those not-so-cut-and-dry cases. You can earn up to 0.8 advanced ASHA CEUs if you are or you become a member of the MedSLP Collective, and the recording is also available inside of the Collective. Ready to scale your clinical skills? Go to medslpcollective.com forward slash summit to register today. On this episode of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, we have Katie Threlkeld. She's a licensed ASHA certified SLP with over eight years of clinical experience. She's a doctoral candidate at the University of Missouri in the Health and Rehabilitation Science Program with a research focus on motor speech disorders and auditory perceptual assessment. Specialized in motor speech disorders, AAC, and oral rehabilitation, Katie has developed proficient skills in these clinical areas, providing assessment and treatment for patients across the lifespan. She serves on the ASHA SIG-2 Neurogenic Communication Disorders Professional Development Committee and is certified in Speak Out and LSVT Loud. Katie has presented at the state and national level on topics related to motor speech disorders, AAC, and oral rehab. She is the educational program developer at Forbes AAC, is a mentor for the MedSLP Collective, and has teaching experience at the undergraduate and graduate level. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, a mobile fees business owner, and founder of the MedSLP Collective. This podcast is all about delivering the latest evidence-based practice to medical SLPs everywhere. Whether you're a new clinician seeking tangible tools for treatment or a seasoned vet stuck in a rut, my goal is to help ditch the old school ways of the past that no longer serve you or your patients, to reinvigorate your passion for our field, to broaden your knowledge about our scope of practice, and to inspire you to practice at the top of your license. So if you're listening, I encourage you to swallow your pride, be open and willing to learn, because let's face it, your patients deserve that kind of care. With that, let's dive right in. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Good morning, Katie. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. I am super happy to be here, and thanks for asking me to be here. Yeah, of course. All right. So tell the people a little bit about yourself. Um, so my name is Katie Throckfeld. I am a speech pathologist, and I have been a speech pathologist for almost eight years, which is crazy. <laughs> uh, I started out working, I thought I wanted to work in schools. I come from a family of teachers. And so I've, you know, have a lot of respect and experience in the education setting and did my CFY in um, Missouri, we call ACSE, so Early Childhood Special Education Program, and was there very uh exposed to AAC for the first time in a way that I wasn't in grad school. And so I was working with a lot of these 
kind of complex kiddos and um, decided to apply for a PRM job that summer in a children's outpatient clinic that works with a lot of very um, complex uh, kiddos in terms of their motor cognition, speech language abilities. And they ended up actually having a full-time opening. And so I took that and that's really where I kind of dove into kind of some of my specialty areas. So I did that for several years um, and then went back and started working on my PhD in 2018. I was hoping to be done by now, but COVID's kind of, along with everyone in the world, COVID's thrown a little bit of a wrench into that. So um, I still practice. I work for an AC company as well, doing a lot of their education program development and then hoping to get my PhD done. I love teaching. I've gotten to teach the AAC course the last two summers at the university I'm at. And it's just been a reminder as to why I went back and did the crazy PhD pride. Awesome. Awesome. I love it, Katie. Yeah. So I, I'd love to hear a little bit more about, you know, I think the people that listen to this podcast are, you know, more medical speech pathologists, you know, obviously swallow your pride. We talk about swallowing a lot, but what I, what I think is so fascinating is there's sort of been this push for more SLPs to, be more well-rounded. And I mean that in, you know, learning more about motor speech, learning more about AAC, you know, we get these patients that are so medically complex and some, for some people, all we're used to doing is swallowing, you know, and we, we need to, we owe it to our patients to be a little more well-rounded and not even if we're not even AAC experts, that's one thing, but at least have a little understanding of what our patients require and how to get them that help. So I think, you know, it's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on. I I sort of love how you're gentle in your approach of like, you can do this, like, you know, reach out to this person. This is what you need to do next. Like, you know, very baby steps, handholding. And I I mean that in a kind, respectful way. I don't mean it in a, in a snarky way, but yeah, I, I I just really love to hear a little bit more about your approach and, and sort of how you got into working with more of these medically complex patients. Yeah, absolutely. So it's kind of twofold. I worked at the pediatric um, clinic, so it was outpatient, and we had what's called our intensive therapy program. And we were at the time one of the only ones in the Midwest doing this. And um, when I started working there, it was PT and OT. So these very complex kiddos would come in. They would do PT for three hours a day, OT for two hours a day, and five days a week for four weeks. So kind of like an inpatient rehab, but not because of just the needs for these kiddos. Uh, we had a Ronald McDonald house across the street. So families could stay there. They could bring siblings, but then their kid could get this very specialized intensive therapy program. Um, and we're, of course, I'm from Missouri, a very rural state. And so these families were having to travel from far away. They'd be able to go home for the weekends, come back, do this program. So when I started, they're like, hey, we really, we need speech. And no one in the clinic has really wanted to take on this kind of a beast. <laughs> uh, because like you said, it, it wasn't going to be AAC specific. It was going to be, uh, you know, feeding and swallowing and speech language, cognition, tons of motor speech. We had a lot of kiddos with cerebral palsy. So a wide range of dysarthria uh, presentations and then AAC. And so I am kind of just open and I am the type of person to, um, I like to ask questions. I probably, I probably annoyed all my professors in school <laughs> looking back on it now that I've taught 
Um, I love to ask questions, a little bit of a know-it-all and the fact that like, I want to know. Um, I don't think I know everything, but I'm like, feed me everything. I'm, I'm a sponge. Um, and so I really kind of started to learn a little bit about everything in terms of these really specific areas for complex kiddos. And on the other end, I did my medical placement in grad school in an inpatient rehab. And so I was also seeing um, these AAC needs for adults and adults with uh, medical history of gunshot wound, stroke, uh, TV, tons of TBI. And so, like you were saying, a lot of these patients would come in and in that acute setting, you know, swallowing is such like the immediate concern. Do we need to be sending them for a swallow study? Are they doing tube feeds? Whatever it may be. By the time they got to inpatient rehab, that's when we were starting to address more of that kind of functional communication component. So I was seeing AAC on that end, and then I was seeing AAC um, through this intensive program and just really wanted to learn everything I could because I personally, I did have an AAC course, and not everyone thought that, but it was short. It was a summer course, so I was like, I don't remember anything. I was just trying to make it through the day so I could go, you know, swimming with my friends on the weekend. And so I really had to uh, learn as much as I could about AAC, but I feel very lucky that I've gotten to see it, you know, birth to a hundred and in a wide range, low tech, high tech, mid tech, progressive, chronic, uh, kind of the gamut. And so that's been really fun for me. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, where should we start today? want to dive into first? I feel like, like you said, this is probably a lot of medical. And so what are, what's your experience with AAC? Have you done much with AAC? Probably more adult. (laughs) So, so you know, what's fascinating. So I have, my brother has cerebral palsy as well. So growing up, and this is actually, I don't know if I've told this story. I might've, but actually the reason I got into speech pathology was my brother had, had an AAC device. I mean, I remember this thing. It was just this big clunky box. It, it actually was like this. It was like a shoe box. That's the size it was. It was the size of a shoe box. And it had, oh gosh, if I could remember, I'd say probably 20 to 24 like buttons on it, which was way too many for him. He needed something that was like, you know, maybe two, four, six, eight at the most, but it, but it was way too many. So anyways, I remember being frustrated with this. I remember my mom being frustrated with this. Like he would deprogram the thing. I would go in and like reprogram the voices, like some words that we would use at home, like the speech therapist at school would program different words. And I'm like, he doesn't, that's not the word we use for that object. Like, I just remember there was a lot of that going on Mm -hmm. and it was effective ish. I say, because it, you know, he, he understood its purpose. He used it for what he could, but I just, you know, looking back now, I'm like, gosh, there's just technology is amazing. You know, there's just, it's, it's awesome how much has evolved. And I just wish we could go back you know, 30 years to when we were little and, and have him have the technology that's available now. But anyways, that was the reason I got into speech pathology. Cause my mom was like, you, you know, you were so interested in this device. You were so interested in helping him communicate. And then, you know, for whatever reason, you know, I did do an under, I did a honors thesis in undergrad with AAC. Uh-huh. So I was still interested in it, but then I just, I don't know, I went down the swallowing rabbit hole and yeah. Fast forward to, you know, now my son, um, so my son's nonverbal and, um, a wonderful, wonderful colleague. I won't share her name because I didn't ask her permission, but she really encouraged me, like, get him AAC, get him going with AAC. And I was like, I'm so overwhelmed. I don't even know where to start. 
she sent me an iPad with just a few like free programs. And she just, you know, did a few lessons with me, like just program these words and program these. And it was so overwhelming, but at the same time, not like I made it this big mental block. Like I made it this big, huge, like mountain that I had to climb. And then I had this like meeting with myself one day. And I was like, this is not about you, Teresa. This is about your son communicating like this. Get over yourself, get over your fears, get over whatever apprehension you have about programming it. And this is about your child being able to communicate with you. And so I had to like reframe it in my brain. And so luckily he's at a wonderful, wonderful school that has an SLP that's an AAC specialist. And she worked with, you know, the free iPad with the the free programs for a while. And then we actually, he just got a brand new Dynavox like a month ago. So we're still, I, yeah, me and my husband are learning. And so yeah, he has a new SLP at school now too. So we're all just sort of getting used to each other, but I'm excited because he, he's such a smart, smart kid. And it's it's so funny. His, he has an SLP for feeding too. And she's telling me that she uses like a reward system. Like, you know, if he does these exercises, she'll, you know, he can pick a show to watch on, you know, the Dynavox. And so she kept hitting the button for, or she kept hiding the button to um, like, to watch a show. She's like, you have to get through your therapy first. He kept uncovering it and finding the button for the show. (laughs) Yes. And she's like, I don't know how this kid, like he's manipulating this thing so well. So I'm like, he's crazy smart. So I I know like the sky's the limit with it, but Mm -hmm. so I just have personal experience with it. I know, you know, work experience, you know, I think I've I've worked with patients on, you know, tricks and vents that just use basically like communication, you know, low tech boards, but in my actual like work life, I've not used much AAC at all. And I regret it. Not that I regret it. I just wish I had, I wish I had known more, you know, when, when you know more, you do more. So absolutely. And I think that's what's hard is because, you know, as you said, our field, we do have to, our scope is just so tremendously huge. And so you are thinking cognition, speech, language, feeding, swallowing, communication, AAC, all of it. And you, you're going to do, like you said, what you know. If you are in a situation where you have this really uh, strong swallowing skill set, that's what you're going to do. I think it's setting specific too. Like I said, I, you know, I've never done an acute placement. And so um, that would, I would have no clue. I'd be like, you know, 911, somebody call me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, and, once I've had the patients, they're stable, they're in patient rehab, that's when I immediately want to dive into, like you said, whether it's low tech, a free app on an iPad, anything that can provide them with an outlet. You know, a lot of these patients, in my experience, are in a period of grief um, in terms of what they've just experienced. And I think AAC sometimes can be, you know, can kind of open up that door to say, yeah, there's potential. I can move forward, I can recover, I have the opportunity to communicate and participate in the decisions that are being made um, in terms of my health. And so I think that's really important. And then like you were saying, the technology, you know, that's, it's kind of twofold. It's incredibly intimidating. And that, that's what I run into a lot is that people are intimidated by it because it changes all the time. When your phone is updated, you're like, Where's this? Where's yeah. that? <laughs> I, you know, like yeah. even just my phone being updated. I, I just updated to Windows whatever ten or eleven on my computer, and I was like, whoa, 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 this is totally different. But then, you know, a week later, you don't even remember what the old setting was, and so that's why I tell people you just got to go for it. It's going to change, and that's okay. And um, you're not going to know everything about it. That's okay. I 
do you, do you watch the show Friends? Have you watched Friends? Yeah. 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 I always tell when I've done my graduate like, students, when they've been in the rotations, I always tell them, they don't know that you don't know. You know, like when they don't know uh, about uh, Monica and Shannon, I'm like, they don't know that you don't know. So it's okay. If you don't know how to hide the button, if you don't know how to, you know, make edit the picture on there, if you don't know where the button is, it's okay. They don't know that you don't know that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's dive into assessment. Yeah. So I think for me, in my experience, one of my, the biggest benefit for me in terms of AAC assessment has been working with really good OTs and PTs, period. Um, what I've learned from them in terms of seating and positioning and access has been, that is what's changed me in terms of my ability to do AAC and uh, be confident in AAC and, and I think do AAC well is really understanding how important it is for these individuals, even if they don't have, you know, significant finer gross motor impairment, but even just knowing from an access standpoint, um, from a uh, sensory standpoint for, you know, a pediatric kid, really knowing that more often than not, these AAC users are going to require a multidisciplinary approach. And so, that's been something I've really benefited from is having really good OTs and PTs and very collaborative OTs and PTs work, work with me in the assessment process. Awesome. I think first and foremost, you know, be comfortable with some of the vocabulary around AAC. You know, I've taught the class, uh, the AAC cry class now twice. And that is something I get a lot of feedback from is like, there's just so many words to know, high tech, low tech, switch, alternate access, core, fringe, all of this. And so just being comfortable with some of the vocabulary that's thrown around. I think, too, knowing that, um, you know, I think SOPs often think very black and white. You know, what is the right device? What is the right app? Um, and there might not be one for that patient. In my experience, almost every single AAC user is a multimodal communicator. So what might be right in this moment or this environment isn't going to be right in a different uh, moment or different environment. So really understanding that it's our job to provide multimodal communication, um, model that multimodal communication for them, and then really give them the opportunities to learn how to use these various systems um, is important. It's not always going to be the high-tech device with this, you know, language system. We're going to have to have low-tech options, um, gestural communication, some form of head nod, yes or no. And we're always going to acknowledge that, uh, respect that communication, but then know it's our job to really teach them how to use other systems for more um, communication, expanding language. Yeah. So if you're agreeing to it, just get familiar with the vocabulary and um, what all is out there. There's so many free, great resources. You know, ASHA has some. All the AAC companies have tons of educational uh, materials out there, free webinars, CEU opportunities um, to really dive into the basics. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Thank you for sharing that. I think it, when I started out with AAC with my son and, and my friend was like, just try it. And I was like, what do you mean just try it? <laughs> and he's like, no, just literally open the app and start pushing buttons and see what interests him. And I'm like, no, I need like a methodical blueprint. And she's like, no, like just this, there's not a standardized test that goes with AAC. And I, I think for me, that was like the hardest 
thing to comprehend. Like, I think I was looking for this like cookbook template of like, okay, have him push this, then push this, then push this. And that there isn't that. So it really very much was just like learning and experimenting, which just for a type A analytical SLP <laughs> was like not what I wanted to hear. So yes. yeah. Yeah. So thank you for reinforcing that. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I think, you know, one of the biggest like evidence-based intervention strategies is modeling. So, you know, saying the word, the phrase, and then showing on the system. And you can't be a good modeler for an AAC user if you don't feel comfortable doing it, right? So like she said, just learn how to navigate the device, how to turn it on and off, how to get in and out of a certain category, whatever that may be. Really just get comfortable with being uncomfortable, I guess. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's the, the best way to put it. Cause I think, like I said, I think so many people want like a very methodical way to do it. And, and I've just learned that there's not for AAC so far. So absolutely. Yep. All right. Is there anything specific on assessment that you want to share? Um, I think one thing, like you said, you brought, brought up a great point and this was hard for me as a clinician, you know, I wanted from a pediatric standpoint, I wanted like a PLS or a GFTA. And from an adult standpoint, you know, I was looking for a MOCA or something that could say, check, check, check. This is what they can and can't do. These are their strengths. These are their areas of weakness. And here's this, you know, gift with the bow on top. And yep. that's yep. how easy yep. it is um, at all. And so you brought up a great point that there isn't that standardized way of doing assessment, but um, I don't think people realize how many tools are out there um, in terms of, you know, a lot of observations, a lot of caregiver or parent input on how they communicate what their strengths and weaknesses are. So really, you know, get online and look up those different tools. Um, there's pediatric ones. There's ones that are um, more adult based. You know, there's ones that are specific to like ALS. Um, there's ones that are specific to aphasia and AAC. So there's a lot of really nice tools that if you don't know where to start in terms of the assessment process, you can use those as kind of um, a way to guide the assessment process. And then you'll get to the point where you maybe don't need those as much, but definitely know that there's tools out there and a lot of them are free, which is great. You don't have to go out and buy this insanely expensive, you know, formal assessment tool. You can just print it off and go to town. Yeah. Yeah. So let, let me ask you, Katie, I know there's like different, you know, a lot of the different AAC companies have like clinical specialists or something like that, that you can call. And it, can you talk a little bit about sort of what their role is? Cause I know it, it sort of, this is all coming back to me now when I was working in skilled nursing, I remember specifically, I had two patients come to me like at the same time that I hadn't seen a patient that required AAC in like five years. And all of a sudden I had two at the same time. And I just remember being like, I don't even know where to start, but I found this Dynavox sales reps number and I called her and she came in and she was just this wonderful, wonderful human. And she helped with, with the assessment. She helped with the access piece. She helped me do the paperwork and the report to, you know, get it paid for and all that stuff. But she was an angel. Like she was so helpful. And so I just think I would not have been able to tackle that alone. I wouldn't have even known where to start. And so she was such a good, like an integral piece in that. And so I'd sort of love to, if you could talk a little bit more about what their roles are and sort of how we can lean into, you know, calling on the companies and, and asking them for help when we need them. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, Almost all these companies are going to have territory reps or state reps, uh, whatever, regional reps, whatever they want to call it. 
in my experience, especially when I was doing a lot of AAC evaluations, I really liked the ones that had speech pathology backgrounds. Um, so not all of these reps, um, some places will call them reps or assistive technology specialists, ATS. Some of them have backgrounds in just like sales in general. And I was like, I don't love you. I want people that know my stuff. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah this is the and she was just so fabulous. Abs- yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But all these companies have reps and that's like, if you are brand new to it, especially if you know a patient is going to require some sort of high tech, they're going to require some sort of high tech system. I always recommend you reach out to the rep. It's their job to come to you and bring the devices, bring, you know, if it's a patient who um, requires alternative access, they're going to be able to bring in an IV system or a switch or a mount. If it's someone who just requires a device that you have no idea which language system to recommend, they are going to be able to bring that in, demonstrate, show it. A lot of these companies have loan options too. So you can get in touch with a rep and say, hey, like, for example, what you were just describing, I have two patients with XYZ, you know, medical uh, diagnosis. They need this kind of system. What can I do? You fill out the loan contract, they send you a device for four to eight weeks, and then you can trial it right then and there. And then like you were saying, then they can help you, if this is new, walk you through that funding process and what that looks like. Um, it used to be like in uh, Missouri, we had for pediatrics, you had to be at a Medicaid specific site. So we would really have this huge backed up wait list for patients to be able to get into the specific site to go through the Medicaid funding process for AAC. I know a lot of states don't do that, and that's great. I just don't think SLPs know that they can do this, right? Um, you know, so reach out to those reps, find out the funding process. Um, as always, you know, that's just part of our job, advocate for your patient. If you reach out to a rep and they don't get back to you within a couple of days, I'd be emailing four other companies. We find out who's going to be there and be, I mean, time is of the essence. You are the clinician with you know, 40 patients on your caseload, you're the busy one. That rep should be reaching out as quickly as possible, knowing that it's their job to come and help you. And they really are. That's what they're there for. And they can be a really great resource. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. So one thing I wanted to talk about, um, I think I emailed on there, was just kind of how AAC is expanding in terms of what these systems can do for patients. And I think that's something that's really important for us to know. Again, I don't think, I think maybe recently ASHA just approved uh, or uh, just made it a requirement that AAC has to be its own course or something. I know it used to be that you could kind of integrate it into courses. You didn't have to have a designated AAC course. But I think we're moving towards having more of a designated AAC course. Don't quote me on that. Um, But just like with everything else we're taught in grad school, we have such a large scope. We have to be taught as generalists. They have to give us the foundational knowledge and the basics because that's what's required and that's what they can get done in this timeline, right? Um, one thing that I've learned a lot about and I've really enjoyed learning about is these environmental control systems that are being integrated within these AAC devices. And it's been something I really enjoyed learning about and reading more and more about, but it definitely isn't something we're maybe more comfortable um, with as speech pathologists, but as a part of this AAC system, it's something we need to be knowledgeable about. 
So, for example, we have devices that, you know, through Bluetooth or through um, USB connection, we can have it set up that they have these environmental controls. So they can control, you know, a smart bulb to turn the light on and off. They can control um, their Amazon Alexa. They can text. They can email. They can, if you have a, you know, a smart TV and program it through Z-Wave, uh, the patient has the ability to change the channel to turn the volume on and off. And so I think that's something, especially for medical SLPs, maybe working with TBIs, uh, ALS patients. We see a lot of this with our ALS patients. To have the ability to maintain autonomy and to be able to be in control of not just what they're communicating, but how they're accessing their environment, I think it's huge. And, you know, these ECUs have been very adult-focused, but I'm hoping we as speech pathologists are able to be more confident and be more knowledgeable about them so we can start introducing these to AAC users at a younger age. You know, a 10-year-old with cerebral palsy should be able to turn the lights off when he's ready to go to bed at night and not have to wait for his mom to do that. And so if you have the system set up, through a smart bulb, they can turn on and off. So I think that's really cool just to see how it's expanding the technology. It's more than just, you know, I want more. It's language and AT and all of this coming together. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up because that, that is really fascinating. You know, I think because you think of what is communication, a lot of times it's making requests to get things done. But if you actually just cut that out and you don't even need the middleman, then, you know, that's super helpful in itself. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, cool. I'll have to check out my sons and see what sort of bells and whistles. we can. Yeah. And just know too that you know, maybe yeah. then if it's not on there now and six months when the, you know, you update your device, which by the way, that's a good reminder, just like your phone, you have to update AC devices, everyone. It could, it could, you know, the update could have that on there. And so that's so I funny. Think- One of the things he loves is like the ceiling fan. So like in the morning, if he's like, helps me get him dressed and like, you know, I'm like, Bubba, just let me finish getting you dressed and then you can turn the fan on and watch the fan. And so it's like a reward thing for just like getting him dressed in the morning. But like, I'm just thinking if I could actually have been his device and he could turn the fan on himself, like he would just be elated, oh, you know, and how motivating. And you know, yeah. that's the thing is, you know, with pediatrics, we talk so much about core language and, and obviously there is, um, you know, 80% of what we say, it's vital and important that we are teaching it, but it's not that motivating. <laughs> so having something like that, where he's so engaged and excited about the fan, you know, you can tie, you know, the language person to me is tying that right in. Um, so now we could be teaching core, but with this very motivating fringe uh, activity. And so, yeah, it's, there's just so much, so much available, so much out there. And that's really fun for me. Yeah. And it's, it's an exciting part of this area of our field. Yeah. It's, it's, it's such a cool time. I think, you know, obviously with as much as technology is exploding, but I just love sort of when these worlds collide, you know, our little communication SLP world, but also with the technology and there's just so much that we can offer our patients if we just know about it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I agree completely. Um, so I, I know I talked about environmental control units and then I think the other thing I really wanted to just, you know, remind people of, make sure people are aware of, because again, I don't know how much people were, you know, I don't know how much of our field gets exposed to like ECUs as I talked about, but then also like alternate access methods, which is one of my favorite things. Um, and again, it's another area that can be super intimidating, 
but there's so much out there. And so I just want people to know that. I promise you there's a way to find, um, even for the most complicated fine and gross motor profile, there is a way to find an access method for that patient, whether it be, you know, uh, micro light switch, proximity switch, you know, um, I gaze, and again, it's that kind of jargon. It's that AAC vocabulary that's out there, but just know there is a way to provide access for all users. And that's something I really enjoy learning about. It's always changing. And again, something my OTs and PTs have taught me a lot about yeah. Yeah. Th- thank you for bringing that point up. Cause I think for me personally, that was a huge roadblock with my son. Like I think the first year of life, he didn't even use his arms at all. We weren't sure if he was going to have use of his arms. We didn't know, but thank God for the most amazing OTs that we've had, but he's always, he's not had very good fine motor skills. And so that was a big barrier for a while was he couldn't push the buttons. Like it was, he just sort of used his hand. And like, if you think of like smearing finger paint, like that was sort of his, how he could select buttons, which obviously on, you know, for something that you need to point, that's not, you know, does not effective, but had the most wonderful OT and he's gotten to just single motor or just finger isolation. Yeah. He's, he's now, he now has just, yeah. And, and it's just the cutest thing ever because he'll just like come to me and just point his little finger at me. You know, he even like on my Apple watch and stuff, he'll point at it. And like, he's so excited that he can just use his finger now to do that. And so that's been so fun. You know, I know OTs worked so hard on getting that done. So that's been so exciting to watch that piece come into play. Now, you know, we can put it actually to use with the AAC device. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. And you know, between, like I said, switches, there's so many like even head mouse options, uh, eye gaze, but then even for kids, you know, like your son who's a direct selector, there's settings within a device that you can program to make it easier for these individuals to access their device. You can set a release time delay. You can set a dwell time. You can do all these different, you know, adaptations within settings, key guards, styluses. There's so many options out there. Um, so us as SLPs, if you have a patient who is struggling with access, embrace the challenge, <laughs> I would say. And okay, okay, you know, for me, it's like, like I'm a true crime, kind of a true crime junkie. I'm like, okay, this is a mystery and I'm going to solve I it. What that. can I do? Yeah. Embrace yeah. the challenge. I love that. Yes. I love that yeah. saying. Yeah, it is. It's just, you know, this is like a way to use my problem solving skills to figure out how I can make this the most efficient system for my user and know that there's just so many options out there. And if it's overwhelming to know where to start, you know, get online, get on ASHA, get on these AAC companies, you know, get on the company websites, reach out to their education team members or their reps because they really are there to help. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Katie. This has been so wonderful. Mm -hmm. Any, any final thoughts for the people? Any final thoughts? Um, you know, really, truly with AAC, I, I, we've talked about this. We all kind of have our special areas, but we do as a field have to be generalists in some capacity. And so just know that, um, there's a lot out there in terms of resources. If you are new to AAC, if you are intimidated by AAC, reach out, get on the blogs, get on the company websites. But even if it's just like we've talked about, you know, even if it's a situation where you need more of a low tech or a mid tech system, there's a lot of information out there on how you can program it and edit it. So really just dive into it, you know, rip the mandate off. (laughs) Uh, Know that it's going to be okay. You're going to learn 
through the process. And it, it's an ever-evolving process because it is tech. And so you're never going to know it all. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. And I think if I can add any advice, it's not about you. It's about the patient. So. <laughs> I, tell my, yeah. I tell my grad students that all the time. I'm like, that's great that you really love, you know, this certain AAC app, but it's not about you. I hate to break it to you, but it's not about you. It's about the, yeah. the user. <laughs> yeah. I had to get over my discomfort so that my child could communicate with me. And when I said it that way to myself, it was quite a punch in the gut, but uh-huh. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Katie. I appreciate everything you talked about and yeah, hopefully it'll give SLPs a little more encouragement to get out there and just try it. Cause I, yeah, there's no, no method to it. So no method to it. Yeah. Just get out there and learn and um, embrace the resources that are there to help. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. To download the show notes from this episode, please visit swallowyourpridepodcast.com. There you can also sign up for our email so that you'll never miss another episode. If you like what you hear, then please subscribe, leave a review on iTunes, and share it on social media with your friends and colleagues, because that is what keeps these episodes coming. If you'd like to be a guest, share feedback, or request a topic to be discussed on the show, please email podcast at TeresaRichard.com. Special credit to Danny B. Socrates for her amazing audio and editing skills. As always, thanks so much for listening and see you next week.